Hey, good morning. It's great to see you all here. It's great to see the folks online. Glad you're tuning in from the cabin, wherever you are. Hello. Uh, hey, when I was in college in Seattle, I, um, I worked in a hospital as an orderly. It actually was the same hospital that I was born in. And often I would be working in the emergency room and the ambulances, they would roll in and people would get asked, they'd get asked, do you know what day it is? Can you tell me who the president is? Can you imagine that, being so banged up, so confused that you don't remember who the president is? You know, I wonder if in England they ask who the king is. Um, that's a thing. And, you know, we, um, our memories, our ability to think is important. Right now, we all forget stuff, we all get confused, but just imagine, imagine uh, forgetting something like super important, something life-changing. Imagine actually that we're back in the Middle Ages, okay? And we're back in the Middle Ages and you're a rebel. You're like a scoundrel, right? And, and then the king's men, they capture you. And instead of lopping off your head like you deserve, the king sees you and forgives you and loves you and adopts you and you become like a prince or a princess. And remember, we're in the Middle Ages, right? Back then, kings were all powerful. Oh, they had all the mights. And, and everything in the kingdom is made by and for the king. The king controls everything, maybe even gravity. Then somehow, maybe you knock your noggin or something, somehow you forget who the king is, your new father. Yeah, now you know someone lives in the castle, but you're like, who is that guy and what do they mean to me? And so you don't go home to the castle and live in luxury. You start living on the streets and you get in trouble and you forget that the king can help you and would want to help you. You forget that the king is good. You start even dabbling in a little bit of rebellion. Now, that sounds far-fetched, but I tell you, that's exactly how many followers of Jesus, how many Christians live, how we, we think about God and how we treat God. This is a big problem for followers of Jesus. Yeah, we need a clearer picture of who Jesus actually is and what he means to us. You know, we're in this uh, series of talks on um, Jesus, bring us to life, right? That's what we're talking about. And this is important for that because for us to come to life, for us to, you know, to, to mature as followers of Jesus, we need to know, we need to live like Jesus is the King of Kings. Like he is supreme, he is number one, he actually does control gravity, he is the solution for all our problems. The Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter to the Colossians that we are studying, and he got this. I mean, he's writing to the Colossians to bring them to life, to help them mature as followers of Jesus. And so, he understands that to do that, to come to life, to, to mature, you, you really do need to know to live like Jesus is the King of Kings. He is supreme. He is number one. So Paul starts out his letter. You know, he says, hello, and then he has a prayer for them. And then the first thing he does is he includes this marvelous 
description of Jesus. It is outstanding. It's in chapter one, starting in verse 15. It's on page 805 in the Bibles we got here. And this paragraph that we're about to read, it's not just deep. It's just not just intellectually powerful, giving us this deeper understanding, this truer knowledge of who Jesus is. It is also elegant and beautiful and poetic. In fact, many scholars think that Paul, what he put in his letter was a poem maybe even a hymn. Now, why would Paul do that? I mean, don't we do that in our emails? You know, we just plop a poem right in the middle. Try that at work, just adding poetry to your emails. Um, <laughs> Paul does it to, to slow them down, to, to like grab their attention with who Jesus is because Paul understands that unless you see Jesus, unless you have, unless Jesus has really rocked your world, unless Jesus, you've had a powerful experience of his love, you won't press in. No, you, you, you won't do the hard things that we need to actually experience joy and satisfaction. You won't come to life. So Paul includes this in his letter. And it's not just the Colossians that need this. Oh, we need it too. The Duluth Vineyard, we need a clearer picture of who Jesus is. Yeah, as this summer, right, as we press in to, to community and discipleship and God's presence, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. You know, with this big misconduct investigation going on, we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And this fall, I think this fall for us is going to be a time of repentance and lament. And let me tell you, God has always done powerful things through his people when they repent through them and in them. And I am looking forward to this fall. But repentance and lament, they're not easy. Yeah, we, we will resist. We will give up if we don't keep our eyes on Jesus and his loving smile. So today, let's, um, let's slow down. Let's take a minute to pay attention to who Jesus really is. Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. The Son is the image, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or ruler or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Wow. Jesus is a big deal. Okay, I'm going to read this paragraph again. And actually, this little section, this paragraph in the Bible, this would be a great thing to actually memorize. The Son... Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Now, in that culture, firstborn didn't mean that Jesus was created. It meant that he was equal to God, to the Father. 
For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He made a perfect world, and then our sin messed it up. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Without Jesus, no gravity, no nothing. The whole universe would just fall apart. And he is the head of the body, the church. Yeah, with everything that's going on, if you ever wonder who's in charge here at the Duluth Vineyard, easy, Jesus. We all work for him. And he didn't just create the old world. He's actually creating a new world, bringing it, bringing us to life. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead. He, a firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. At least memorize that. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus, come. All right. There, this is such a beautiful, such a powerful description of Jesus. And there is so much depth here. We're going to go as deep as we can today. But I am going to encourage you to read this at home, to meditate on it, even memorize it. There's lots we can get out of this description of Jesus. Today, we're going to ask the question, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus, right? Who is this king of kings that we tend to forget? And we're going to start at the top. And I'll tell you, this can be hard for us to wrap our minds around. Verse 18, that in everything, in everything, Jesus is supreme. And everything means everything. When we think that things like, you know, I don't know, politics or inflation, the economy, big corporations, social media, conspiracy theories are more important, more powerful than Jesus. When we think that like our boss at work or our teacher, our coach, our, you know, our parents, maybe our spouse, our boyfriend, our girlfriend are more important or more powerful than God, that's a lie. And we believe it because we've forgotten or we've never seen clearly who Jesus is. Yeah, hey, uh, a fun way that we can press into this is we can play a game, okay? This is gonna be fun. We're gonna play the game, is Jesus the boss? You know, I think I'd be a good game show host. So everyone, together now, is Jesus the boss? Yeah, so is Jesus the boss of the church? Easy one, he is the head of the body, the church. Really? Always? I mean, if we were to get a normal person, you know, someone who's not following Jesus, and they were to read in the Bible about Jesus, and then they were to take a hard look at the church in America today, would they say, oh, you bet, that church reflects Jesus, his character, his love, they are doing exactly what Jesus would do, Jesus must be the boss of the church. This is a hard reality. Um, but let me tell you, in our game, you know, is Jesus the boss? Uh, the answer is always yes. Yes, Jesus is the boss of the church. And in the American church today, there may be some serious insubordination going on. 
Another one. Is Jesus the boss of this world? Well, not according to social media, the internet, not according to cable news or academia, and not according to some followers of Jesus. Because sometimes we think maybe the devil is the boss. You know, this world is so messed up, something else might be in charge. Nope. Jesus. Yeah, he is the boss. He, he, uh, he made it, and he still holds it together. Now, with all the evil, I think sometimes we get tempted. It's easy to think that maybe evil is winning. No. The Apostle Paul here, he does the same thing that's in the book of Revelation. He pulls back the curtain so we can see what's really going on. That Jesus has won, that Jesus is winning, and that Jesus will win. How clearly do we see that? Because how well we see that, it changes how we see the world, how we act. It changes how much fear and anxiety we feel. It changes how much we are willing to partner with Jesus to bring this world to life. Okay, one more. Is Jesus the boss of our lives? Again, in this game, the answer is always yes. <laughs> yes, he is the boss of our lives. But do we live that way? Do, do, do we forget that he is the boss? Do we sometimes dabble in some rebellious behavior? Uh, two weeks ago, we talked about if we see Jesus clearly and what he did, then we would know that he is the solution to all our problems and we would bring all our problems to him. Do we? And if Jesus is our boss, guess what? We would obey him. Yeah, because he deserves it. He totally deserves to be obeyed. And obeying him, it, it is an easy yoke. It is, it is the best thing for us. And, and as we experience more and more of his love, we want to love him back. Obedience is an act of love. Do we do that? Okay, there's so much more we could talk about about Jesus' supremacy, but we got to move on. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. And it's okay if right now you're thinking, duh, that's obvious. And it's okay if you're not sure about that. If maybe you're not sure that Jesus is God and, and what that would mean. Let me tell you, when we start out following, of Jesus, following Jesus, it starts out with us just seeing and knowing and believing two things. One, that Jesus is who he said he is, son of God, creator and ruler of this universe. And Jesus did what he said he would do, that he, he would, you know, rise, die and rise again, that he, he would pay the price for our sins, that he would do that to give us new life, to reconcile himself to us. See, the fact that Jesus is God is fundamental. And today, we're going to focus in on one part of that, which is in verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Jesus. This is incredible, actually. It goes right to the heart of the doctrine of the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is just a way of saying that there is only one God, only one, and there is three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
And for many of us, we think of the Trinity as like a pie, right? We got, you got one big delicious pie, I do love pie, and in that pie you have three slices. You have the Father slice, the Jesus slice, and the Holy Spirit slice. Paul is telling us that's the wrong way to think about it. Because uh, the, the pie thing doesn't work because all the pie is in every slice. Yeah, I'm a pastor, so many times I've told people, Jesus is 100% human and 100% God. And that is true, but it's incomplete. I should be saying it differently. Because it's not just that Jesus is fully God. It's that God is fully in Jesus. He is 100% human and 100% of God is in him. So what? Well, this leads us to our next point, which, who is Jesus? Jesus is the God that we can see and know. Yeah, it it is the first thing that, that, um, who's that guy? Paul says in his poem, he, he says, the sun is the image of the invisible God. We can see him and know him. And this is actually at the start of the Gospel of John. No one has ever seen God. But the Son, excuse me, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Okay, so so remember the goofy thing at the start about medieval times, you're a scoundrel, a rebel. Okay, what if the king, this king that adopts you, what if this king is always off jousting or, you know, hunting foxes, doing king stuff, and you never get to see him, right? You you never get to know him. Well, it'd be more understandable that you would forget him because you never had a chance to get to know him. It's exactly the opposite with God. God makes himself knowable. He does it through Jesus. And this matters. I mean, think about it. How many close personal relationships do you have with people you don't know? None. It's not possible. And don't we want to have a close personal personal relationship with God? Yeah, whether we know it or not, we do. Because that's how we come to life. We come to life by knowing Him. Yet, I've had lots of people say to me things like this. You know what? I, I really connect more with God, like out in nature. It's so beautiful here in the Northland. I connect with God way more in nature than I do in church. Yeah, I, I feel more of God through music and art and loving relationships and holding my grandchild. I, I, I see God moving more in a 12-step program or in, in serving the poor. And yeah, God is in all those things. You bet. Those are good things. But if we ever want to go beyond just a vague feeling, like a fleeting sense of God, then we need to go to Jesus. To go to Jesus. And we meet Jesus in community because he's in the other followers of Jesus. And, And we connect, we meet Jesus through discipleship through teaching, through, through studying and reading and even memorizing our Bibles. And we meet Jesus through God's presence, through the Holy Spirit, through prayer, through, through you know, spiritual disciplines, the ways that we open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, to Jesus. So, I mean, 
Will we take the time? Will, will we make the effort to, to open ourselves up to God? We will if we want God to bring us to life. Okay, next. Jesus is new creation. And, and this means that he is the blueprint for new creation and he is the means of new creation. He is both. I love the parallelism in Paul's poem here. He talks about how Jesus, he holds together the old world and the new world, new creation and old. It's both. He talks about how he's the firstborn over all of creation and he's the firstborn from among the dead. Now, if we focus in on new creation, that part of it, it shows us a lot. For example, what do we look like when we are made new, when we are brought to life? Is it good? Is it worth it? What do we look like? Easy. Look at Jesus. Just look hard at Jesus. Jesus had meaning and significance and purpose, right? Jesus, right, he had the, the most, the best character and courage and compassion and wisdom and power and humility. Jesus is like full up with joy and peace and love and forbearance and goodness and gentleness and self-control. He's got it all, right? It's, he is full up. I don't know about you, but I want to be like Jesus. He is so beautiful. I want to live like him. What a life that would be, to live like Jesus, to be like Jesus. And if we're not sure, it's because we don't see Jesus clearly, or we've forgotten who he is. We need to press more into his supremacy, who he is. And he's not just the blueprint, he's the means by which we come to life. Because of his sacrifice on the cross, the, the ultimate act of love, we can come to life. Today even, that's accessible to us. We can press into it. All right, so we've um, take, looked at this beautiful description, this powerful description of who Jesus is, and we need it because if we're gonna come to life, if we're gonna mature as followers of Jesus, we need to know, we need to live like Jesus is the king of kings. He is supreme, he is number one. Now, let's get even more practical. Paul gets even more practical. Right? He, he takes this and he like totally applies it to the Colossians and he applies it to us, our lives, personally. So I'm going to read the uh, poem again because it is so great, but also to give you context. Like here's who Jesus is and then Paul is going to apply it right in our lives. He's going to tell us why it matters. So, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, in visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church, he is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether 
things on earth or things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now, what about each of us? Now it gets personal. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and is being proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. All right, we asked, who is Jesus? Now we're going to ask, Paul's going to answer, who are we? Who are we? Until we start following Jesus, we are alienated from God, right? We are, we are enemies in our minds. We are stuck in our sin. And some of us, it is super hard for us to face the bad news that comes before the good news. We can't come to life unless we can see that we are sinners. We, we do evil things. We are rebels against our Father. G.K. Chesterton, he got this. The, the Times of London, this newspaper had an essay contest, and the question was, what is wrong with the world? Us, today, how would we answer that? What is wrong with the world? The Democrats, the Republicans, polarization, you know, big corporations, is it, is it uncontrolled immigration, is it racism? What is wrong with the world? Chesterton, his answer was only two words. What is wrong with the world? I am. I am. It is so healthy. We got to start out with seeing who we are, our sinful nature. Now, Paul, he also shows us something else, something that we get trapped in. And so we're going to unpack verse 21, but we're going to do it in reverse order. So we're going to start out with the fact that we are uh, we have evil behavior, and we all do. Come on, we lie and we cheat and we steal, right? We 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 all do. We're we're selfish and prideful and greedy, and 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 you know we're hypocrites, and and we're even abusers. And you know what? We know it. And on our own, we can't stop it. And because of our evil behavior, we start to think, we start to believe that God is our enemy. Maybe he's our enemy because he, 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 wants to, he doesn't want us to have fun, right? He, he's keeping us from the good stuff, he, you know, he, what we really need. Or maybe he's our enemy because he wouldn't approve of what we're doing. Yeah, he would just want to judge us and shame us and punish us. Now notice, that's all in our minds. God is for us. He loves us. There's nothing he wants more. He is so excited to forgive us and bring us to life. That's who he really is. Now, I want to tell you, even for followers of Jesus, we forget that, right? It's easy to fall into old patterns. To what degree do we see that Jesus, God, is for us? To what degree are we acting, are we living like God's against us? Now, before we start following Jesus, we are alienated from God. We are, no question. We are cut off because of our sin. 
right? The, the wages of sin are death, spiritual death. We are isolated from God. You know, God's holiness, it repulses us. It would destroy us. That's who we were. But now. But now. It's one of Paul's favorite phrases. It is two of the best words in the entire Bible. But now. He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. But now, now everything is different. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. But now, that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. We are coming to life. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We're reconciled. All right, so let's go back to our question. If we're followers of Jesus, who are we? Who are we? We're not alienated from God anymore. We are not his enemies. No, we are children of God. That's who we are, children of God. It's, it's like if a, if a child was to do something just awful to their parents, just so awful, and then they were to cut their parents off. But later, they were to offer a sincere apology and they were to make an amends and they were just reconciled back into the family. Now for us, we can't make amends. It's not, we don't have the power to do it. And that's why it has to, it took Jesus's, his physical body through death. And if we're followers of Jesus, we are holy, we are perfect in God's sight. Because of the cross, Jesus can give us his righteousness, his perfection. And that's what God sees when he looks at us, right? We, we are without blemish and free from accusation. And we are people of the presence of God. We are. Because of the cross, we have the Holy Spirit. We can experience God. We can experience his power and his love and his wisdom now. We get that now. N.T. Wright, he describes this in a cool way. He says, but now, but now, God has acted and everything is different. And this has as its chief delight and privilege the fact of being brought into the very presence of God himself. What we should think about is a royal palace, the Colossians and all of us who have come into the family of God from outside are like people who have been on the street outside the royal palace and who have suddenly been told they are invited to appear before the king, summoned in, indeed, welcomed in. We're people who are enjoying this delight, this privilege. And it's through God's presence that we are coming to life. So who are we if we're followers of Jesus? We're children of God. We're, we're perfect and holy in God's sight. And we are enjoying God's presence. Is that who we are? 
Have we given up on ourselves, come to him empty-handed, and received his gift? If we haven't, there's no day like today. No day like today. Okay, before we're done, though, we need to deal with verse 23. Um, yeah, and so I'm going to read verse 22 so we get it in context. But now, we, um, he has re- but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accus- accusation, if, if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. Uh, that's an important if. That's an important condition. And really, Paul is answering the question, what is our role to play? What is our role to play? How do we access? How do we participate in Jesus saving us, in in him bringing us to life? And um, this is a little bit confusing. This can be a little bit hard to get our minds around. Because throughout the Bible, there's lots of places in the Bible that it says that it's not about trying harder right? We, we can't earn it. It is um, totally a gift. It is God's grace. It is all God's grace. And at the very same time, this is not the only place in the Bible that says that we need to stand firm in our faith. And for us, that seems contradictory, but it's not. First, there's a big difference between effort and earning. Yeah, following Jesus takes effort, but that effort doesn't earn us anything. No, our effort, our our faith, and our hope, what they do is they allow us to receive God's gift. It's all a gift. Yeah, we, we can't earn anything. But I'll tell you, if we just like sit around, hang out on the couch, we do nothing, we won't come to life. Yeah, Christian maturity, becoming mature as a follower of Jesus, it doesn't happen automatically. Second, um, if we don't continue in our faith and our hope, often what will eventually happen is we'll start to question whether our faith was actually real. And was it real? Because, you know, the Bible talks about how genuine faith endures. It always bears fruit. Okay, I rushed that. I totally did. And um, I, I wanted to s- stop there because I don't want anyone to go home like struggling and f- freaking out because they may have lost their salvation. And I also don't want anyone to hear Paul's words and go, oh my goodness, I got to earn it. Let's get at it. Okay, if, if, if verse 23 still, still troubles you, please grab me after. We can talk more about it. But what we need to do before we're done is we need to apply it. We need to press into it. So um, we all need to continue in our faith. We do. We need to continue in that. And our faith doesn't have to be perfect. No, we can have loads of doubts. We just need enough faith to put our weight down on Jesus, to live like it's true. And there are lots of ways that we put our faith in Jesus, lots of aspects to that. But today, with with Paul's poem, right? What we're looking at is the fact that we need this faith to to come to life, to to mature as followers of Jesus. We need to have faith. We, We need to live like Jesus is the King of Kings. He is supreme. He is number one. 
So do we live that way? What is number one in our lives? If following Jesus meant that we would never be rich and famous, maybe even popular, if it meant we would, we would never have the perfect home or perfect family, if following Jesus meant that um, we had to actually give up our sin of choice, right? The gossip, the gluttony, the greed, whatever it is. If following Jesus meant that, you know, we actually couldn't have sex outside of marriage. We couldn't lie. We, we couldn't get revenge. Would we be out? Would we walk away from Jesus? What other than Jesus is supreme in our lives? Timothy Keller, great pastor from New York City, passed away recently. He says this so well. You can't know the supreme one, Jesus, if anything else is supreme. You say, what do you mean? Anything else is supreme? I'll tell you. I've had people say, I'm a Christian. And I know I'm doing something over here. Some, some people think it's right. Some people think it's wrong. I don't know. All I know is I have to do it. All I know is I need it. Do you know what that is? That is the language of supremacy. Supremacy. If Jesus is God, he can't just, he, he can't just come into your life to round it out. He can't just supplement. He's not a vitamin supplement. He can't just be your buddy. He can't just make you a little better. There is nothing in the middle. It's all or nothing. It's all or nothing. Paul's poem, Is That Jesus? Do we believe that? That he is supreme. It's all or nothing. Are we in? Are we in? Jesus, bring us to life. I tell you what, let's stand up and let's talk to God about whether we're in or not. This is important. This is the, the most important thing in our lives. So let's right now talk to him about wh whether we're in. We're going to move into ministry time. And so if you're in, this is the perfect time to tell him, I'm in Jesus. All or nothing, I am in. I want all, all of you. I want you supreme in my life. Maybe you've never said that to Jesus before. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. It is, it's not complicated. You just tell him you're in. And again, your faith doesn't have to be perfect. You just need to, to, to agree with him that he is who he said he is, the son of God, and he did what he said he would do. He died on that cross. He rose again to bring you to life to pay the price for your sins. If you believe that today, tell him you're in. For the first time, or maybe the hundredth time, maybe you look at your life and you're like, oh, I am like that guy from the Middle Ages that John made up. I, I have forgotten who Jesus is. I'm not living that way. I'm not living, he, do, he doesn't mean that to me, but I want him to. If you have that much faith, just tell him you're in. You know, I'm gonna invite the ministry team to come forward. We got these people here that are trained to pray for you. And if you're telling God that you're in for the first time or the hundredth time, come up and let someone pray for you. It is a powerful thing to do. And if it, this is your first time, we got a packet for you. If, if you haven't been following Jesus for a long time and you are back in, we've got this packet that has some great information to help you. 
Um, I'm going to, you can start coming up now to get prayer. I'm going to pray for us all. So come, Holy Spirit, come. <sighs> Give us the strength. Give us the courage. Fill us with your love so we can see you clearly and we can be in. We need that, Lord. We, we can't do this on our own. You need to draw us to you. But what you're drawing us to is new life. It is so powerful and so good in our lives. So Holy Spirit, just fill this room with your love. Give us the clearest picture we have ever had of who Jesus is. He is supreme. He has created everything. And it wasn't good enough for him just to create it. He is redeeming it. He's bringing this whole world to life. Let us be part of that. Let us tell him right now, Jesus, I'm in. I am in for that. I want that. I want it more than anything else. And again, Jesus, I, I understand our faith doesn't have to be perfect. There might be things that we're getting tripped up on, but you can help free us from those things those sins of choice, or, or maybe it's just we, we, we're, kind of, we're kind of people that want to sit on the couch. We kind of want to be lazy. Oh, Lord, come and help us to make the effort to open ourselves up to you, to your amazing gift. Lord, help us to say we are in. Amen. You know, if you need prayer to do that, to tell Jesus you're in, or if you just want to tell them you're in and celebrate it with someone. Again, I'd love, I'd invite you to come up and let someone pray for you. If you need prayer for anything in your life, maybe you got things going on in your relationships, you need physical healing, you're struggling in your finances, you're just lonely or depressed, whatever it is, we would love to pray for you today. This God is amazing. Slow down. Open yourself up. Let him bring you to life. Thank you for coming to Vineyard.